Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for being with us. We had a little bit of a hiatus for the holidays, but we are back with some wonderful conversations for the remainder of this year and certainly a full schedule plan for 2023. So we hope you will make sure to join us for The Landscape. When it comes to finding workers during the pandemic, there have been few sectors that have been hit as hard as the healthcare industry, and in particular, the home healthcare industry. Our healthcare and nonprofits reporter, Lydia Coutre, looked into this area for one of our forums that just published in the December 12th issue of Cranes Cleveland. We've asked her to join us to give us an overview. Lydia, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here. Lydia, let's start with a definition, because when we say home healthcare workers, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, so the home care workers, it's a, it is a pretty broad term, and um, there's also the term caregivers, which we'll discuss as well, both of which are, are again, pretty broad. Um, and so there's the home care caregivers and home care workers kind of fall into two categories. There are the skilled workers, which are those clinical providers who may visit patients in their home for uh, usually a pretty finite period of time. They are the physical, occupational speech therapists. They may offer, they're, they're, they're those who offer nursing care, um, and it's th- that group of clinical providers, they're the skilled workers. The other piece are the direct care workers, the personal care aides who come in and help with the activities of daily living. They may do ancillary services to help um, with the day-to-day caregiving for um, for for typically the elderly or have um, have different um, complex medical needs, whether that is a child with um, you know an adult child or a child with um, different needs or special needs, or that is you know an elderly family member or a loved one. The the other half of this is um, there's we'll also talk about caregivers, which is again a broad term that hospitals have also started calling their employees. There's also care, of course you know everybody's providing care to somebody in their life in some way. Um, and for the, the purposes of this conversation, we're talking about personal and family caregivers. Um, an, AA, an AARP report um, counts this as, defines this as an adults who are providing care to another adult or a child with special needs. Um, and within the past 12 months, um, when the AARP did a 2020 report, they counted 53 million Americans, which is more than one in five adults in the U.S. that are considered caregivers, um, which is a pretty staggering number and also an increase from their previous count five years prior in 2015. So as you began your research, how acute is this shortage in terms of how many home health care workers we need? And do we know right now and what are we projecting for the future? Um, so it's definitely, um, I mean, health care broadly is, has been facing shortages. And so as I was looking at, at where I was going to dig into the workforce needs for health care, I, I really honed in on home health um, for a couple of reasons. One, our population is aging, and two, those who are aging want to age in place. And so I was looking at the home home care um, industry and those who are going to be able to help those who want to age in place do so. And so there are um, some projections that we have. The, the acute needs really are that, you know, for the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging, which helps provide care for older adults and individuals with disabilities in Cuyahoga, Geauga, Lake, Lorraine, and Medina counties, currently has, they estimate, about 700 clients in need of home care services across the five-county region and that are understaffed or unstaffed. So they may, they may be getting some care, um, but maybe perhaps half as many hours a week as they need. And that is due to not having as many, you know, not being able to staff as much as they would, they would ideally like. And that is a significant increase from just um, a few years ago when they started, they started counting these figures at the beginning of the pandemic um, when adult daycare services were um, suspended uh, and temporarily closed in the early days of the pandemic. And so that, that had the agency starting to count those figures and um, it, has ju- it has been increasing um, since they started 
counting those. As for projections, um, Ohio's projected job openings for direct care workers um, from 2018 to 2028 is nearly 230,000 direct care workers. And that is, again, those um, who assist older adults uh, with the daily tasks. So that's one, and with those tasks such as dressing, bathing, eating, and that's according to PHI, which is a New York-based national organization committed to strengthening that direct care workforce through research and advocacy. Um, and, and that's that piece. And of course, there are a lot of other figures um, that look more broadly at the national regional uh, shortage for healthcare workers, which would include all different pieces of those skilled workers that enter a, a patient's home. Is this, and I'm not sure what the right term I'm looking for is, a hidden problem for many people. I will give myself as an example. For my entire life, we never dealt with any home health care workers until my parents became elderly, and they've both needed that assistance in the last seven to eight years. But I never gave it a thought before we had to call upon those services. Do a lot of people not really think about this until it's right in your face, for lack of a better term? I think that's very true. And I think, I mean, myself, I, I, I hadn't necessarily thought of it until I knew of, of friends who were having to deal with the same thing for their aging parents or for their aging loved ones. Um, and in fact, even those who are actively um, helping their parents, they may not even think of themselves as a caregiver. Because um, there's a lot of folks who can't necessarily, who do not have the means to be able to afford the, the professional um, services to hire a caregiver. They may be doing that, that themselves. Um, and that takes a toll in and of itself. This this entire need is often a very overlooked one, I think. And many of the folks that I spoke to would say the same. Um, it is not something that a lot of people are thinking about until they need it. And um, it is going to be a, a significant need. It is currently a significant need um, and is going to continue to grow as one, um, as, as projections are showing and as the population ages. Um, and and what one person I was talking to, uh, Lisa Weitzman at the Benjamin Rose Institute on Aging, uh, kind of mentioned that a lot of folks say, well, I'm not a caregiver. I'm a spouse. I'm not a caregiver. I'm a child. Um, and part of her work and the work at Benjamin Rose is helping people understand that they also are a caregiver and there there is a need for resources and supports to, to help that, that do exist. And, and there's the need to kind of connect them to those to be able to ease that entire uh, process um, and all of the work that it takes to to manage um, their day to day lives, plus the additional burden of, of and uh, work and stress of having to care for an aging parent, um, an aging loved one, and and um, navigate that entire system. And so the there's a lot of complexities to that to navigating that, and there's also resources for it. But if you're not necessarily thinking of all of those different parts, there may not be, there may, if there's not an awareness of it, then you don't know how to access it. And, and that just kind of adds to uh, a lot of the stresses and, and the ripple effects of those stresses in these, in, in everybody's, in, in those caregivers' lives. You mentioned that more and more people are choosing to age in place. Do we know what's driving that? What, what kind of percentages we're looking at in terms of people who are choosing to remain at home and not perhaps take advantage of an assisted care facility or a nursing home or one of those kinds of places? Yeah, I think um, as far as percentages, um, the state uh, has Medicaid figures on that. Um, in 2007, 54% of individuals with disabilities and chronic conditions were receiving the care that they needed in an institutional setting, whether that's a nursing home or other intermediate care facilities, whereas only 46% were receiving um, that 
that care in a home from home and community-based services. Um, in last year, in 2021, fiscal year 2021, um, 68%, so that went from under half to 68% of that care was being received in at home and community-based services. So that's a pretty significant um, shift in the in 15 years. What, as for what's driving that, I mean, who doesn't want to age in place? I think that that's just what people want. And one thing that I did find interesting in my conversations was the pandemic was, I think, an eye opener for a lot of families, um, because, of course, everyone has always wanted to stay in home, but say, say age in their home and stay in place. But there may have there may have been a little bit more of a shift to make that um, to look at to other options during the, especially the early days of the pandemic when nursing homes were um, kind of on lockdown and there were folks who were trying to bring their loved ones home during that time. And so I was talking to um, a couple of folks who um, are in the, the home care space who said the pandemic really heightened kind of the ability for family to ha- families to have more nuanced conversations around where can our loved ones receive these services. And so how much that actually has, um, you know, that's not necessarily reflected in, in, in these numbers because it's data is a lagging indicator, of course. Um, but I thought that was an interesting um, kind of tidbit that I, that I hadn't thought of necessarily as something that may continue to, to drive trends going forward and, and how much of, a, of an influence that is it remains to be seen, but I thought that was an interesting, um, interesting fact that I learned. Lydia Coutre joins us for The Landscape. She is our healthcare and nonprofits reporter. She's written several pieces for the forum section in the December 12th issue of Cranes Cleveland about the shortage of home health care uh, workers. Lydia, even if you have AIDS coming in, if you're a person um, that is taking care of a relative, an elderly relative or someone at home, and you're also working, there are going to be times where there's going to be some conflicts where a doctor's appointment comes up or there's somebody, that elderly person is sick and needs somebody to stay home with, with him or her. How are employers starting to react to that? Are they changing how they're thinking about dealing with employees who are in these situations? So there's not a lot of um, consistency there. It varies greatly. And, and um there's a couple of different resources um, locally or organizations locally that have been putting out resources on how employers can think about that. One um, is the Benjamin Rose Institute, as I mentioned, um, they, they have created um, a family caregiver support program um, and they've licensed it to organizations around the country. And they've also, they deliver it locally as something called We Care because you do, or they abbreviate it to We Care. Um, and it's a virtual program that aims to like reduce stress and support caregivers by helping them with community service services coordination, long-term care planning, um, you know, understanding all of the responsibilities and the financial and legal concerns and and all of that. So it's it's one of those resources that I kind of mentioned that that is that exists in the community that maybe caregivers don't know about. And and um, they have been working on having organizations and, and employers offer it as a benefit. And for instance, some employers actually may offer it, offer to pay for three months of service for an employee who wants to use the program, recognizing that that is a cost, but the alternative of absenteeism, of potentially losing an employee who's been there for many years and the turnover, that would be a far greater cost. And so that, that has been a, an option that, employee, that uh, Benjamin Rose is seeing employers um, opt for. And actually recently um, they received a, grant to make WeCare, um, to expand free access to WeCare, which um, was announced from CareSource in November. Um, and, and additionally, um, Health Action Council, 
released a report that identified seven different actions that employers can potentially take um, to to kind of con- consider supporting their caregivers um, that are in the workplace, which is adapt your culture, get input from their caregivers, um, implement training, like implement flexible policies, train middle managers so that they're caregiver friendly, so that they can help na- help them navigate some of the different uh, the, the needs while also meeting, you know, um, their needs at home while also making sure that they're um, they're being responsive within the workplace, creating internal support structures, and of course measuring those results and then offering the right benefits and resources, whether that is specific leave um, or or benefits such as um, a program like We Care or other other specific uh, benefits that may help them. We mentioned that the shortage of workers is driven in part by the pandemic, but that's not the only reason. Why is it becoming more difficult to find people to enter this field? Is it because there are jobs at places like Amazon and Uber that pay similar sorts of wages? The the shortages within healthcare more broadly have been going on for a long time, as well as shortages for direct care workers. It is absolutely not specifically or exclusively driven by the pandemic. But of course, a national health, you know, national shortage of healthcare workers, also regional, uh, does not help, and stagnant wages um, for what is a very demanding job um, within the direct care workforce, within the direct care workers, and of course the, those skilled workers within the home, um, does, it, it has been an ongoing challenge. Um, the the median hourly wage for home health, those that offer those ancillary, that provide those ancillary services, in Ohio was eleven dollars and fifty four cents in twenty twenty one according to data analysis by PHI, and that is up just 5% from $11.04 in 10 years prior in 2011. Um, and so when, like you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, some other big corporations that are, that it's very difficult to compete with um, the wages that they're offering when there are a lot of other organizations that can, that, that are offering, you know, $15 an hour, it's, it's difficult to compete with that. And one of the things that has consistently kept these wages low, some of the home health agencies are saying, is uh, the reimbursement rates from um, government payers. Or often, some of these services are just completely private pay. And so it's difficult for them to be able to raise their rates um, to be able to then pay their workers more, is is what I'm hearing from the home health agencies. Um, and, and, and additionally, some of the, some of these agencies are not able to offer benefits to their employees, um, at, at, at the current margins that they're operating within. So, and the work is incredibly difficult. It's taxing. It is, it has become more physical over the years as people are having, are living longer. They have, are living at home with more chronic conditions. The work used to be, um, more of a companionship type of role and it's becoming a lot more of physically helping the patient, um, and, you know, the, the elderly patient move, you know, bed transports or, or the bathing work has become a lot more taxing. It's become a little bit more labor intensive. And so that is kind of changing what type of uh, employee and is going to look for the home care work. And that has become a bit more challenging for some of the home health agencies to recruit workers. Do we need a change of perception too? I, th- I know when you're, if you're a physical and occupational therapist, people say, well, you know, you've earned this degree. But when you're the kind of home ca- health care worker you're describing, I'm not sure people realize just how difficult and challenging this is. They're like, well, you know, you're going to heat grandma up a can of soup. What's the big deal? But it's way bigger than that. Yeah. And so the the, the occupational therapy work is, a li- is, is, is on that skilled side. It's a little different than the wages that I'm talking about for the direct care workers. Just I want right. to make sure that, that that's clear. But yeah, the... The work has just become 
a lot broader in what it may encompass. And yes, some of it is helping with, you know, heat up a can of soup. I went um, into the home of a, uh, of one client, she's 92 and she was, you know, the, the, the caregiver who has been working with her for the past, working for her for the past uh, seven months was making her uh, lunch. But additionally, she helps her, you know, she helps her with mobility. And so I was speaking with um, Connie Hill Johnson um, of Visiting Angels, who has been in, uh, who's had that company for, for about 20 years. And it used to be, the work used to have a lot more, it, it used to attract a lot more uh, mature workers, uh, older workers who, you know, were looking for that companionship. They maybe would run errands for, for a, a client. They would heat up a, a, a can of soup. And as it became, a more difficult, a more physically demanding job. It just was, it was not a pot. It was not a feasible role for them to continue on in. And so, yeah, maybe it is looking at some of the, some younger workers. It, there have been some folks suggested, perhaps it is looking at high school workers or looking at younger people who are considering the medical field, who perhaps they would be interested in starting as a home care worker to see if that's what we want to, if this is, an attractive field for me long-term. And there's a lot of other solutions that, that folks are kind of considering within, within the broader picture of not just home care, but home, but, but healthcare more broadly to, to kind of rethink the recruitment and broaden who is a home care worker. And I think to your point, how, how we, we as a, as a community more broadly think about what these workers are doing is, is probably important for, for how everyone knows, how everyone understands how we're going to eventually need those those workers to be there. Lydia, thanks so much for sharing and shining a light on what's obviously a growing problem and one that we're going to need to solve. We appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Absolutely. Lydia Coutre is Crane's Healthcare and Nonprofits reporter. You can read her work about the health, home health care shortage in the December 12th issue of Crane's. You can check that out online at cranescleveland.com. I'm Dan Paletta. We want to thank you for joining us for the Landscape, a Crane's Cleveland podcast, and we'll talk again soon.